Today is October 25th, 2015. The title of today's message is No Regret. No Regret. As I was thinking about Ahithophel and had to go look. Isn't that neat? The Lord just brings things up in your spirit that that's not been the normal path for me to get ready for a sermon. That's why I thought I'd share it with you. We have so many people in here who will be preparing sermons on a regular basis in the days to come. So many of you that do for prison and different, different things. And I wanna, I'm going to try to work in a testimony of the prison uh, ministry from this morning here in just a little while. But just a singular word, just a single person that I have to be honest that I didn't know very much about. And so it caused me to go study in a very, very different and unique way. And I believe and I trust that God does things like this for you. He does it for me too, right? But He does it for us as a body of believers. Um, the name Ahithophel means brother of folly. Interesting. He was a trusted advisor. Uh, let's turn to 2 Samuel chapter 16. And we're going to start off in verse 23. You can keep a, a tab somewhere in 2 Samuel because we're going to be rotating a lot through these chapters here this morning. 2 Samuel chapter 16. And it starts in verse 23. It says this, Now in those days the advice Ahithophel gave was like that of one who inquires of God. That was how both David and Absalom regarded all of Ahithophel's advice. So Ahithophel is an advisor. He goes around and, and he was with David. There's not a ton of scripture about him but when we see it coming up here, we're going to find some important things that we can relate to our lives. Turn, since you're in 2 Samuel, turn back a few chapters to 2 Samuel chapter 11. And by the way, we've, we're turning from chapter 16 to chapter 11. There are years. We're flipping a few pages. We're looking back a few chapters. This is going back in this story years of time. Okay? So 2 Samuel chapter 11. And look, we'll start in verse 1. Say there when you're there. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. If, if I had time, I would talk to you about this, right? In the time where the kings were supposed to be going off to war, David sent someone else to do his job. Problem. Doesn't seem like it's a problem, but it is. And those of you who know the story, it quickly becomes a problem. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. And David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, isn't this Bathsheba? Little, little memory device, right? She was bathing. Her name is Bathsheba. Easy for us to remember. Bible story, right? man said, isn't this Bathsheba the daughter of Liam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Okay, why am I going there? Let's um, keep our place there and turn to 2 Samuel chapter 23. Okay, we just read Bathsheba's. We know about Uriah, her husband, and her father, Eliam. This is listing of David's 30 mighty men, of his fighting warriors, 
of the special forces that surrounded David. Verse 34 says, Eliphalet, son of Ashbiah, the Maccabite, Eliam, son of Ahithophel, the Gilanite. And by the way, down in verse 39, you see that Uriah was one of the 30. Okay, so why am I telling you this? So we see here that Bathsheba's husband was Uriah, one of the special forces, one of the Navy SEALs, one of the Green Beret, okay, one of the elite fighters was Bathsheba's husband. Her father was also listed as one of the mighty fighting men, was also a Green Beret, Navy SEAL, whichever your preference of the ultimate warrior would be. Eliam, son of Ahithophel, the Gilanite. So basically, Ahithophel is Bathsheba's grandfather. Okay, that's going to come into play in just a little while. Sometimes when we read through the Bible, we miss these connections, and sometimes the stories don't always apply. Hey, do you have some interesting family dynamics? You have the, the uncle that actually did this and married that person, and you've got some interesting family dynamics that are going on. This is what's going on in these stories that we're reading. We read through them, and because we're not familiar with a name like Ahithophel, we just kind of glance over it, ha la la la, and then we keep going, right? That's the way it sounds in your head. You just, pfft. not at this church. We know that each name, each word in this means a lot, and we should, we should revere it. But all of these stories are integrated. So we have David, who kills Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, Ahithophel is one of his advisors. Right? So we have all this start that's going to start to come together. Let's turn, uh, let's turn to Proverbs chapter 15. So we see here about men who are advisors. We see someone who occupies this position. Proverbs 15 and verse 22 says this. Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. <laughs> is it a good thing to gather wisdom from other people? Absolutely. Is, is it an important thing for you to be, able to, to be able to call on a brother or sister and help you in a time when you're a little bit confused? Absolutely. Uh, turn to Proverbs 12, back just a few Chapters, chapter 12, verse 15, says this, The way of a fool seems right to him. <laughs> of course it does. <laughs> the way of a fool seems right to him, but a wise man listens to advice. You can go throughout the Bible and you can find people like Rehoboam who rejected wise counsel. He rejected the counsel of the elders and decided to listen to his own peers and put harshness on the people. Chapter 12 of Proverbs, verse 5. The plans of the righteous are just, but the advice of the wicked is deceitful. So we start seeing the importance of advice, but we also start seeing the danger in getting advice. Turn to chapter 27 of Proverbs, verse 9. Proverbs 27 and verse 9. Perfume and incense bring joy to the heart. And the pleasantness of one's friend springs from his earnest counsel. 
You find that true? You have, you have someone that you can kind of go to? You have someone, a trusted advisor, and you, you always, they always seem to have, what, is the, what does the Bible say elsewhere in Proverbs? That a word aptly spoken is like apples of gold and settings of silver. When somebody just always has the right thing to say. Have you ever been the person that didn't have the right thing to say in the right moment? Have you been the one that, that you would like leave and be like, oh, I should have said that. I missed it. Right? Um, let me encourage you guys. And I want to speak to the youth for just a second, everyone in here, but especially the youth. When I was younger, um, I used to read through Proverbs in a non-ending cycle. That was just part of my reading. I read through at least a chapter a day of Proverbs, and I would go to a chapter a day in James as well. I remember being 15, and I just had a little spiral, (laughs) red-covered, I don't know why I remembered it, spiral notebook, and I would just write my thoughts on James. And then I would read read James again. You know why? Because I actually wanted to be a person who had some wisdom. You know why? Because my fear was always that I would be, uh, that I would have my fear, the insecurity that was speaking into my heart was that I wasn't valuable, that I was too stupid to do things, that I wouldn't have the right thing to say in the right moment. That made me afraid. It made me nervous. It caused me to not speak when I should speak. As a ninth grader in high school uh, and as a middle, middle schooler up through around ninth grade or so, I was the kid who could be in a classroom with other kids, and if I wasn't there, no one would notice because I was just, I was afraid to speak. I would rather keep my mouth shut and have people think I might be okay or whatever they wanted to think than to open my mouth with the fear that I would say something wrong. It's kind of funny. What do I do for a living now? I talk. (laughs) I communicate nonstop all the time. You know, like, yes, we've talked to you before. We know, right? Isn't that interesting how the very thing that the enemy was trying to pervert even at young ages trying to keep me to be silent and the very thing that I'm supposed to be doing is to open my mouth and speak and pray that God's words are the things that fill me. Perhaps some of your insecurities are from the fact that the enemy has been battling against you for a long time and you now think that those things are normal. You now think that that's just the way that you are. That's just the way that I'm wired. Perhaps it's the enemy been speaking and whispering in your ear so long that you believe his words instead of God's words in your life. Perhaps you've been listening to the wrong advice. Perhaps your counselor has been your own insecurities instead of the foundation and the truth, the pillar of of truth, which is the Word of God, which is the church. Perhaps instead of listening to me, it's easy enough to dismiss what I have to say because you really just don't understand, Wade. What do I not understand? Do I not understand having insecurities? You think standing up here eliminates all that? You think sitting there adds more to it? Of course not. The Word is our counselor. The Spirit of God is the one that should be advising us. And when we don't have something right, we have to let some certain things go. We have to understand that God needs to create some havoc in our lives. And and I'm going to rephrase what Nick said earlier, a word that came. Perhaps the best thing for us is to have our house flooded. Not in a material way, but let God so rush in that what's what's the problem, what's the fear about a flood? It's It's overwhelming. You can't stop it. There's nothing you can do. The force gets so great, it doesn't matter what's in front of it. It just washes over it. It gobbles it up. It levels it out. It moves around it. It doesn't matter. Perhaps we should all be seeking the presence of God in our life that's a little bit more reckless, that's a little bit more uh, out of control, meaning our control. 
Perhaps it's we're actually afraid if we really fully relinquish what God has for us, that He might just make us do something that would cause us to be uncomfortable. Well, God forbid that the, the Lord of all creation make you uncomfortable, right? Perhaps the advice that we've been going for is that we're trying to get to cruise control in our walk with the Lord. Perhaps the, the advice that we're hearing in our own spirit is that, man, when I really got this thing, it's going to smooth out. When I really get it right, it's going to be smooth and it's going to be easy. Let me encourage you not to be listening to the wrong advice in your life. If God is with you, I'm not sure that it matters whether it's smooth or not. I'm not looking for smoothness anymore. I'm looking for His flood to just take me over. I'm looking for His Spirit to just wash over me and take all of where I lack, and it doesn't matter. It, does it matter what you lack when you're in a flood? If you are literally in a river getting swept away, does it matter what you, what, what you own anymore in that moment? Does it matter what you can do or can't do? It doesn't matter because it's so overwhelming. It's not about your strength anyway. <laughs> you have a you have a eyedropper and you're putting it in an ocean. Like it doesn't matter. It's it's not enough for you to do anything about. Let me encourage you that the advice that the Lord gives. Let's turn to Proverbs chapter one. <clears throat> Proverbs chapter one says this. Starting in verse 1. Okay, I need your help today, so make sure you're telling me there when you're there. I don't want to go quick enough that I lose you in that. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for attaining wisdom and discipline. It's amazing how much wisdom and discipline go together in the Bible. For understanding words of insight. For acquiring a disciplined and a prudent life doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to the simple. Amen for God giving prudence to the simple. If you view yourself as simple, well then praise God. Because He can give you prudence. He can cause you to understand what is right, even though you may be simple. It's amazing. I told you about all my insecurities growing up. I was worried about people finding me intelligent or not. Now in my life, I'm just trying to be simple. Lord, would you just make it plain to me? I don't need to understand the revelation. When I first started teaching, I thought I was a good teacher because I could talk a lot. And I enjoyed explaining things. And now I'm like, it's not about what I say. It's about what people can hear. It's about what they can ingest. What the Word does is it calls you to be able to ingest the right information. For giving prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Amen. I'll let you figure out if you're young or not. Let the wise listen and add to their learning. Let the discerning get guidance for understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. What does it say? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. If the Lord has been speaking to you things before and you ignore it, the Bible compares you with a fool. For you to hear the right thing, for you to hear and know what to do, what does the Bible say when you know what to do and you don't do it? It's sin. There's no other way to look at that. If you know it and you don't do it, it's called sin. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. There's this hunger that's birthed, but fools despise wisdom. Turn to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. Thank you. 
for our visitors, when we get to a passage of Scripture, it is our custom to say there. Not only are you letting me know that physically in your Bible you turn there, but you're letting me know that your heart is also there. We're, we're proclaiming we want to be there physically, and Lord, we're ready for you to speak to our heart. So that's what you hear for our visitors who are here today. James chapter 1. Yeah. Amen. Let's start in verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. Because you know. Everybody say, you know. You know. know. If you're in this church, you know. When you face trials of many kinds, you should take joy. Whether we do it or not is one thing. Whether we can accomplish that is, is, is another discussion. But we know that we should take pure joy. Why? Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Amen. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God. (laughs) That was our prayer this morning. Matt and I were uh, getting and we're just enjoying the word together this morning. Lord, we lack wisdom. We want to lead your people well today. Lord, I lack wisdom. Would you give it generously? Without finding fault? Um, I have to be honest. There are some times as a father that I fail miserably. When my kids ask for help, sometimes I give help begrudgingly. (sighs) Fine. The Bible says that the Lord gives wisdom to anyone who lacks. When they ask, He gives generously to all. Without finding fault, it will be given to Him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt. It's almost like without faith, it's impossible to please God or something. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded man, unstable in all he does. Uh, I hope that we don't resemble the man that's being tossed to and fro. The Lord is telling me this. No, the Lord is telling me this. I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do. I think I'm supposed to do this. Just back and forth, constantly getting rocked um, in that way. Let's turn back to 1 Kings. Let's go to 1 Kings for a moment. First Kings chapter 10. We're going to get back to Ahithophel in just a moment here. First Kings chapter 10. So I was thinking about this um, today. When I was in high school, um, my high school job was to be a tutor. I used my nerdness to the full advantage, right? So all my peers were making... You know, back in my day, they were making $6 an hour, $5 an hour at, you know, at McDonald's or whatever. I was making about $10 an hour being a tutor. Nerds in the house, right? Again, I still had insecurities in this area, and yet the Lord was causing me and forcing me to step out and do things that made me address my fear and overcome it, right? So I was a tutor, and what I really, I, I, I tutored a lot in math and science um, when I was in high school. And so what I would do is I would, 
have, and most of the time they were either my age or just slightly younger. So as a junior and senior in high school, I was doing this, and so I'd maybe have someone else who was a peer, and I'd start tutoring them. What I figured out was this. Most people did okay with the math as long as I could kind of tell them the right set of rules to be using. Okay, as long as I could put them in the right box, then they could operate in the box pretty well. The problem was they couldn't look at a problem. If it was in the same chapter and they knew that they were doing the same thing, they did really, really well. If I took that one chapter away and just said, this is a test, there might be four or five things that they were studying, they couldn't figure out which set of rules to use. Does that make sense? I'm trying to make it non-math in case you're like my wife and could care less about math. Right? Numbers. Eh. Yeah, she just, she just smiles and nods and like, you know. Her gifting is in many other areas and not the, the, the numer- understanding numbers, right? So I would do that, and what I was trying to do was get them in a tutoring session to be able to see something, to be able to identify it right and think correctly about it, and then they could do the right thing. What they could not do was the middle step. They could see the problem, and they would just start throwing math things at it. <laughs> I take away here. That's, it's not a subtraction problem. I'm going to multiply this. There's no multiplication. It's an equation. Let's do this. That was me, not them. (laughs) What I I worked really hard was, was to give them a framework to understand. When you see this, it means this, therefore you do this. You see this, I need you to think this so that you can do this. Isn't that basically what the Word is trying to instruct us to do? We're supposed to see something, and in our life, how are we supposed to determine? Do I, do I go pray? Do I, um, yes, of course I'm supposed to pray. I call out to Jesus. But do I seek counsel? Do I do this on my own? Do I, do I go to the right? Do I go to the left? What does it look like in real life? I understand if you tell me that it, this is a faith thing. God is challenging my faith. Okay, well then I understand maybe, and I can look at the Word, and it can show me what to do. What we're trying to do as a church is to say this. Whatever situation you're in, the Word of God and the Spirit of God will give you the right framework so that you can do what you're supposed to do. If you look at something and run around like a crazy person pulling out your hair, you might not end up where you're supposed to be. If you're like me, there's been plenty of times when then that's been the course of my life. I've got something going on. I freak out. Ah! I don't know what to do. I'm out of money. I, need, I don't know. Huh, 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 huh. And I panic and I think. And I wear myself out thinking through things, right? I, have you ever worn yourself out? Have you ever gotten tired just thinking about what you're supposed to do? Like, oh my God, I've been laying here all day and I'm so tired. Is it just me? Why? You exhaust yourself. Why? Because you have no direction. You're trying to come up and you're trying to counsel yourself. Self? I should, wait, 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 wait. We see something, we should run immediately to the Word of God, empowered by the Spirit of God, and let Him direct us what to do. When He makes wise the simple, you know what we start doing? I see something. Lord, what do you want me to do? There's a lot of things I can do. When we moved here from Austin, I felt the Lord very clearly say for me not to go get a job. Since I've been an adult, since I've been tutoring back in high school, I've always had a job. When we moved here, he said, don't worry about that. Oh, 
Yes, sir? It sounds like that added a lot of pressure to my life. It actually took away all pressure. When people offered me jobs, I said, no thanks. Wait, what? Yep, turned them down. You know why? Because God made it clear to this very simple-minded person. I, I was in a situation. We moved to Houston. I went to the Lord and He told me. And so I just did what He said. Oh, that's wise, brother. Yes, because it's simple. <laughs> he said, I trusted Him enough that I did not let any fears that I had stop me from doing it immediately what He said. That's, that was the counsel that the Word of God and the Spirit of God gave me. Um, I've, I've recently started... You can't tell. It's okay. You don't have to... I've recently started working out again. I go to, to Judah and Sasha's uh, apartment community because I usually walk when it's not raining. I'll walk over there and I work out. And they have this machine. And all of you actual real workout people will be able to say the name of this thing. It is a, it's a squat machine or a bench press that has rails on the side. So the bar just rides up and down on a rail. So you can get under it. You can do it, and it's really pretty safe because you just go, bloop. It's got little hooks on it that keeps it from falling on your chest. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. All right? It's actually kind of a neat machine because it pushes all of your energy when you're underneath it. I was doing a bench press yesterday, messing around with the kids. And you get underneath it, and every bit of energy that I'm going to push on this thing is actually going to make the weight go up. Now, in real life, you have to worry if it was a bench press. I, I, was, I was messing around with the kids, so I put on too much weight, like way more weight than I could actually do on a real bench press. I was like, I could do it on this, though. You know why? Because every bit of my energy is pushing it in the right direction. Every bit of my energy pushes it in the right direction. Perhaps God has you here in this church to put you on rails for a little while. Perhaps the rails are needed to help you to get, build up some strength without harming yourself. The amount of weight that I did yesterday, I would never, ever, ever try unless I had some people around me who could help get it off my chest should I fail. But the fact is, is I knew that this is okay. I set the little braces. Even if I dropped it, I put it where it stopped right about here. I'd just go, well, that was a failure. Oh, well. God has you here. I said it as a perhaps just to get you to think, but the truth is this is honestly what I think. There's no perhaps about it. God placed you here to put you on rails. To get you to be... Isn't, isn't that a good feeling that every bit of your energy can cause you to go in the right direction? Yeah. If, if the pastors or the elders or the situation or the leaders or what's going on and they ask you to do something and it may feel hard, but all we're trying to do, brother, you're limiting me. You don't understand my greatness. Perhaps. Perhaps it is as you said. I'd prefer you not to have to put that weight on your chest and get crushed. So all we're saying is, these are rails of wisdom. These are rails of counsel that we say, hey, we're going to do it this way. Are you saying that you're always right? I'm saying it doesn't matter whether we're right. <laughs> we're going to try to be right. <laughs> we're, going to, we're going to inquire of the Lord. Um, Sometimes we give other people way too much credit for what they can and cannot do to our walk. I've shared this with you before. When I was in Austin, um, 
the last six months, eight months that I was in Austin, my role on the staff there, I was completely invisible. I was completely invisible. They would forget about me at every turn. I could have decided not to show up for work. (laughs) I don't think anybody would have noticed or cared. They would forget to assign me things for a men's ministry thing. I'm male and one of like five pastors on staff that are male. There's not many of us. It's not like there's so many people you forget and I get forgotten about. And it was the best thing in the world for me. It was the best thing for me. You know what? Because God allowed it to test my heart. I felt like He just spoke to my heart. Are you going to serve me even if you stay invisible for the rest of your life? It's easy to say when we're in a setting like this. If you don't feel invisible, yes, we will serve you, Lord, regardless. What about when you're in that position where you feel like nobody's seeing you? I'm not saying nobody's appreciating you. I'm saying nobody's even seeing you. They're not even acknowledging your existence. What are you going to do then? I'm going to presume that it's God's counsel for my life. You know what I did? I found places to serve. I would show up and they'd go, what are you doing here? Just going to serve. Oh. I was on staff and I would, find, I would just go find the most menial task I could find. I'd sweep the floor. I'd take care of kids in the, in the nursery, in the preschool. I'd walk around and I'd see if I could help the custodial staff. I'd become a greeter at the door, just welcome people. How you doing? So good to see you. Welcome to church today. It's because nobody wanted me anywhere else. <laughs> it was God's counsel for my life. I trusted that God had the right guardrails on for me, that he was building the right kind of strength in me so that I could do this on my own, so that I could come here and serve in a way. And now, you know what it did? Is It drove out the need for me to be approved by man. I'm sure I will have to learn that lesson again. I'm sure I've not completely mastered this. I'm not saying in standing before you, never again will the approval of man have hold on me. I wish I could say that, but I know myself too well. And I think I passed that test. And I'm going to presume at some point it's going to come back up and God's going to have to revisit that in my life. Perhaps it's like David on the backside being a shepherd. Perhaps it's like Moses on the backside of the desert for 40 years. I'm okay with those things being in my life because I know. Where are you? Are you allowing those kind of frustrations to get into you? Are you allowing those kind of situations in your own life to discourage you from walking the way that you should? When you think through the Bible, just a few examples, and then we'll look at 1 Kings 10. Jethro gave wise counsel to Moses. said, hey, Moses, what you're doing is not good. Hey, man, for godly father-in-laws. There you go. Go ahead, Judah. <laughs> need to speak up. Balaam, on the other hand, gave very ungodly counsel and advice, and people were led astray. Rehoboam rejected godly counsel. Here, in 1 Kings chapter 10, let's look at verse 1. When the queen of Sheba heard about the fame of Solomon and his relation to the name of the Lord... She came to test him with hard questions. The queen of Sheba came and visited Solomon. Great story. 
arriving at Jerusalem with a very great caravan, with camels carrying spices, large quantities of gold, and precious stones. She came to Solomon and talked with him about all that she had on her mind. Solomon answered all her questions. Nothing was too hard for the king to explain to her. Amen. When the queen of Sheba saw all the wisdom of Solomon and the palace that he had built, the food on his table, the seating of his officials, the attending servants in their robes, his cupbearers, and the burnt offerings he made at the temple of the Lord, she was overwhelmed. A queen in another land came to Solomon and was like, whoa, every little detail of your life seems to be in order. She said to the king, the report I heard in my own country about your achievements and your wisdom is true. But I did not believe these things until I came and saw with my own eyes. Indeed, not even half was told me. In wisdom and wealth, you have far exceeded the report I heard. How happy your men must be. How happy your officials who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Praise be to the Lord your God who has delighted in you and placed you on the throne of Israel. Because of the Lord's eternal love for Israel, he has made you king to maintain justice and righteousness. She gave the king 120 talents of gold, large quantity of spices, and precious stones. Look at the next, next sentence. Never again were so many spices brought in as those the queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. This is a big deal. She came before king. Let's turn back to 2 Samuel. We're going to finish out our time here in 2 Samuel. Let's turn to 2 Samuel chapter 13. Amen. We're going to see in four successive chapters how there are four different types of counsel that we can get. In chapter 13, let's read from verses, starting in verse 1. 2 Samuel 13, verse 1. In the course of time, Amnon, son of David, fell in love with Tamar, the beautiful sister of Absalom son of David. Amnon became frustrated to the point of illness on account of his sister Tamar, for she was a virgin and it seemed impossible for him to do anything to her. This is a very unique story. It's a very interesting story. Now Amnon had a friend named Jonadab, son of Shemaiah, David's brother. So he's David's nephew. Jonadab was a very shrewd man. He asked Amnon, Why do you, the king's son, look so haggard morning after morning? Won't you tell me? He's shrewd. He saw what was going on in a very natural way. He saw that Amnon was troubled with something, and so he inquired of him. He pulled it out of him. Amnon said to him, I am in love with Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. He's in love with a half-sister, right? This kind of advisor does what? Jonadab, in this case, look at verse 5, says, Go to bed and pretend to be ill, Jonadab said. When your father comes to see you, say to him, I would like my sister Tamar to come and give me something to eat. Let her prepare the food in my sight so I may watch her and then eat it from her hand. So Amnon lay down and pretended to be ill. When the king came to see him, Amnon said to him, I would like my sister Tamar to come and make some special bread in my sight so I may eat from her hand. David sent word to Tamar at the palace, go to the house of your brother Amnon and prepare some food for him. 
So Tamar went to the house of her brother, Amnon, who was lying down. She took some bread, kneaded it, made the bread in his sight, and baked it. Then she took the pan and served him the bread, but he refused to eat it. Jonadab here becomes a sinful type of advisor to Amnon. In this case, Amnon has something in his heart that is not godly, and what he has done is he has a friend who is a shrewd man who basically tells him how to fulfill his evil desires. The end of this story, this part of the story, is that Amnon ends up raping Tamar. How would you like to have to be Jonadab and answer for your part in that? Now, that is an extreme case, right? So let's make it more practical in, in our position. Let's, let's take the word and make it and allow it to counsel us. How many times have we seen people, one person they have an evil desire and someone counsels them into how to actually effectively do that? <laughs> they find <laughs> the bad company that corrupts good morals. The people who are around that say, hey, let, let's, get it away, let's back it away from, from, from a, a rape desire. That's about as bad as it gets. What about people in your life that actually help you to be sinful? What, what, are, you, what are you talking about? Oh, that, that's not me. What about the people when you're being selfish that they encourage you in your selfishness? What about, do you, do you have people around you who really should kind of, re, not, they should really rebuke you? Not kind of. They should come and say, hey, that's not right. Hey, hey Kim, that's not how we act. We're believers. That's not, that's, this isn't the right way to do this. Do you unknowingly give permission to somebody? Do you unknowingly try to be helpful and actually encourage them in sinfulness? Wow. Um, I have the privilege of serving people all day, every day. One of my biggest prayers in my own life is, Lord, don't let me miss when someone is saying one thing, but their heart is actually has an evil desire in it. They're actually just trying to be selfish. They're actually just trying to get away from what you're telling them to do. Lord, may I never, knowingly, unknowingly, intentionally, unintentionally, may I never push someone towards disobedience and sinfulness in you. Let's take it out of, let's presume for a second that it's not someone else who may be speaking to us or us who may be speaking to someone else. What about our own counsel to ourselves? Brother, I'd never intentionally encourage anyone in ungodliness. Okay, amen. I believe that that would be your heart. What about yourself? What about when you know that you're being fleshly? What about when you know you're being ungrateful? What about when you know that you're really not following God and you just find an excuse, you find some reason? I'll I'll tell on myself and see if if you understand this simple thing. Um, I have been late before and I'm glad after I'm already late to get caught by a train. You know why? Because now I have an excuse for why I'm late. I actually have no excuse why I'm late. The truth is, is I was late and I dishonored who I'm going to see, but now I have a better excuse. Brother, I'm ashamed of myself. I have sinned. I did not take it seriously at our meeting. I should have taken it more seriously. Please forgive me. But instead of me showing character, I'd be like, hey man, so like, uh, you know, the power went out and there was traffic. It's Houston. Of course there's traffic. I'm going to throw the traffic excuse out there. Ba-bam. No, the truth is, is I left late and it's my bad. 
That happened to me on Sat oh, yesterday. Not the excuse part. <laughs> the being late. My phone, re uh, it uploaded a new operating system, and the alarm that I was counting on to get me up to be where I needed to be did not engage in any way. I was 40 minutes away from my destination. I was supposed to be there at 9. I woke up at 8.48. <laughs> hey, man. Uh, please don't take this. I, I, I have made a huge mistake. I'm going to be very, very late to our meeting. Very, very late. Like, I don't like being late. I was 40 minutes late to the meeting. Hey, man, I messed up. I'm not going to be there at the time that I said, please forgive me. I'm coming as quickly and as safely as I can. Hey, no problem. What I could have done was blame it on my phone. Brother, I messed up. This is my responsibility. And I, I am now imposing on you to, to, to find grace. How many times do we counsel ourselves to allow ungodliness to exist? That's a simple example, right? Hopefully you're, you're unlike me, and that is, you don't even know what I'm talking about. I, I figure most of us know at least that, right? I, I figure if you're always looking for a way to excuse your sin instead of just acknowledge your sin, perhaps you're counseling like Jonadab. If you get in the habit of making excuses for yourself because you just can't stand in front of another human being and say, I messed up. Joy, I'm so sorry. I messed up. I know you asked me that. I'm just, right, there's actually nothing there. Joy, I'm so sorry. I failed. Please forgive me. If we get in the, in the habit of doing that with each other, won't that be easier between what we do with God? You think you're going to treat another human being like this and hide things and lie? and be detestable before the Lord, and you're going to come with Him with clean hands and a pure heart? That's not how it works. Perhaps we have counselors like Jonadab in our life. Turn to chapter 14. I hope this is making sense to you. Yes. <clears throat> chapter 14, let's start in verse 19. So this, uh, we, we turn one chapter, and this is a few years later. Okay, Everybody with me? So this is years down the road. Um, Amnon slept with Tamar. A few years passed by. Absalom kills Amnon, half-brother. Kills him for what he did to his sister. Kills him. Uh, it's actually Jonadab that tells King David. King David gets a word that all of his sons had been killed. Jonadab actually says, oh no king, it's just Amnon. Absalom leaves. A few years go by. Joab is trying to get Absalom to come back because he knows that David actually has a desire in his heart to see his son. Okay? So, Joab gets a woman to dress, uh, to dress up and make believe that she's been mourning the loss of a child. He does this whole false story so that she will get the king to say a certain verdict and then say, ha-ha, this is what you should do, king. Okay, you could read in the chapter in chapter 14 for time's sake. We're going to go to verse 19. King David figures it out. He finds through it. He works his way through it. Verse 19, the king said, Isn't this the hand of Joab with you in all this? The woman answered, As surely as you live, my lord the king, no one can turn to the right or the left from anything my lord the king says. Yes, 
It was your servant Joab who instructed me to do this and who put all these words into the mouth of your servant. Your servant Joab did this to change the present situation. Joab used deceitful means to change the present situation. If you think that God can be happy with you to change your present situation, but do it in a way that is worldly in nature, if you think that you can do an ungodly thing to get to godly answers, you've got the wrong type of counsel going on in your heart. You've got the wrong type of advice. Hey, well, this happened, and you need to go tell your husband that this, that this took place. Well, I mean, wouldn't that cause problems? Won't, th- won't that cause issues? You need to go talk to your husband. You, you need to go talk to your wife. Why? Because we're not going to tell you in an ungodly way to handle and to be godly on the end of it. I, how can I encourage you to be godly by telling you to do something ungodly, even if it's hard? Joab looks at the present situation and figures out a way in his own mind to get to the answer that he thinks is right. Do we do that? Better question. In what ways do we do that in our lives? My Lord has wisdom like that of an angel of God. He knows everything that happens in the land. The king said to Joab, he quits talking to the other lady because he realizes the source of it now. Very well, I will do it. Go bring back the young man, Absalom. We have sinful counsel that encourages us to be sinful. We have worldly counsel that tries to get us to godly means by ungodly ways. Let's turn to chapter 15. We read this recently. I think it's come up even in a few services. We're going to revisit again very quickly. Chapter 15, verse 1 says this, In the course of time, Absalom provided himself with a chariot and horses, with 50 men to run ahead of him. He would get up early and stand by the side of the road leading to the city gate. Whenever anyone came with a complaint to be placed before the king for a decision, Absalom, Absalom would call out uh, to him, What town are you from? He would, he would answer, Your servant is from one of the tribes of Israel. Then Absalom would say to him, Look, your claims are valid and proper, but there is no representation of the king to be near you, to hear you. And Absalom would add, If only I were appointed judge in the land, then everyone who has the complaint or case could come to me, and I would see that he gets justice. Sometimes we have selfish counsel that's going on in our lives. I hope that you've never done this, but I know I've done it before. I've encouraged someone to do something because I knew ultimately it could help me in the process. I call it a win-win. Makes it sound less offensive. I mean, you know, if if you want to give this to me, that's okay. If if you want to go ahead and do that, knowing that, that it can somehow bless me, we've got to be careful of counsel that causes us to gain the benefit. We've got to be careful of giving ourselves counsel that is really only selfishly motivated. I want to do this. Why? Because I'm looked at differently. I remember doing this so much when I was younger. I don't know why I'm sharing all these these things that are just real in my life, right? I remember when I was younger and immature how much I wanted to tell people how much I knew. Remember that fear that I had from young? You know, part of the way that I dealt with that insecurity was I wanted to show you that I wasn't dumb. 
I wanted to tell you who I knew. I wanted to tell you what I could do. <laughs> Look what I could do. <laughs> right? Right? Little kids will often do that. Why? Because they're trying to get your affection. Aren't they? It's cute in a three-year-old. Look what I could do. Hey, it's cute in a four-year-old. Maybe. At what point does it stop becoming cute and just become a little sad? When they're 13 and 14, still doing it the same way, you're like, eh. When they're 23 and 24 and still going, look what I can do. Maybe not quite a high pitch of a voice, but that's really what we're trying to do. Look, look. Do you see? I'm not a total screw-up. None of us thought you were. We thought you were a child of God who's working towards holiness. Why would you need to tell me what you just did? Why do you need to tell me that you went and prophesied to somebody? If you're genuinely excited about it, amen. We can rejoice. If you're actually trying to get some type of approval from me, perhaps we've got some selfish counsel that's going on even on something that we do that really is good and really is noteworthy. Are you following me? Be careful about what we say to other people, about what we celebrate with other people. You can absolutely share your heart. We want to share our lives together. We want to give God glory. But if we're doing something like Absalom and it sounds like we're trying to give God glory, but we're trying to find glory for ourselves, do you think that the God of all creation can't see that? Do you think He's going to bless you and cause you to grow in the way that you want to grow if you're not doing it the way He's prescribing because you've got a selfish motive? Let's be honest with our motives. Let's be honest so that we can say, ah, look what the Lord did. I'm always, because my background was that, because I, I have failed in this many times and the Lord has corrected me and is correcting me, I love people who can kind of play it close to the vest. Never quite know what's going on. Never quite know that they're just a boss. And you're like, huh, you can do what? Wait, you did what? When? That's incredible. You've got to pull it out of them. Right? Because in those people I see a counsel that is not selfish at all. It's not self-promoting in any way. And I admire that. And I go, oh, well done. <laughs> well done. Right? Verse 5. Also, whenever anyone approached him to bow down before him, Absalom would reach out his hand, take hold of him, and kiss him. Flattery. Hmm. Absalom behaved in this way toward all the Israelites who came to the king asking for justice. And so he stole the hearts of the men of Israel. By the way, when you do this, it can be very effective. You can do this the wrong way and you can completely sway the hearts of the people around you. They can love you. They can applaud you. They can want you to be their king. Verse 7, at the end of four years, another four years passed, right? He's been doing this for four years, standing at the gate, building up his own kingdom. Be careful lest we build up our own kingdom. And then he leaves from there and he goes to Hebron, sends a secret message and say, when you hear the trumpets, say that Absalom is king. David has one son, Amnon, that committed rape and was killed. He has another son that is literally trying to usurp the throne. Take a look at chapter 16. And we're going to wrap it up. Chapter 16, verse 15 says this, Meanwhile, Absalom and all the men of Israel came to Jerusalem, and Ahithophel was with him. Then Hushai the archite, David's friend, went to Absalom and said, Long live the king. Long live the king. 
uh, Hushiah was actually still loyal to David. Ahithophel was a counselor to David and is now revolted, betrayed David, and is gone with Absalom, who's trying to have this other kingdom go on. Absalom asked Hushiah, Is this the love that you show your friend? Why didn't you go with your friend, David? <laughs> Listen to how he answers. said to Absalom, No, the one chosen by the Lord, by these people, and by all the men of Israel, his I will be. <laughs> I look at that as a mass way to say that he was actually still working for David. But it sounded like he was saying, Absalom, I'm working for you now. And I will remain with him. Furthermore, whom shall I serve? Should I not serve the son? Just as I served your father, so I will serve you. Absalom said to Ahithophel, Give us your advice. What should we do? Ahithophel goes through and he gives him advice. Remember what I said about Ahithophel being the grandfather of Bathsheba? The advice that Ahithophel gives is, um, is twofold. One is for Absalom to go sleep with all the concubine of King David that he left behind at the palace. And the second part is to go and attack and kill King David. And the truth is, is it his advice, especially on the military part, was correct. It was the thing that Absalom should do was go and attack David. But it says in chapter 17, let's start in verse 5, but Absalom said, Summon also Hushiah the archite so we can hear what the Lord, what he has to say. When Hushiah came to him, Absalom said, Ahithophel has given this advice. Should we do what he says? If not, give us your opinion. Hushiah sends him on a different path because the Lord was trying to frustrate Absalom. Ahithophel was filled with bitterness because of the way David had treated Bathsheba. He had other things that had been undealt with and he allowed that bitterness to creep into his counsel of what he was giving. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 29. Last few verses here. Deuteronomy chapter 29 and starting in verse 16. It says this in verse 16. You yourselves know how we lived in Egypt and how we passed through the countries on the way here. You saw among them their detestable images and idols of wood and stone, of silver and gold. Verse 18. Make sure that there is no man or woman, clan or tribe among you today whose heart turns away from the Lord our God to go and worship the gods of these nations. Make sure there is no root among you that produces such bitter poison. When we hold on to things that God has told us to let go of, when we're waiting to try to stop a flood of what God wants to do in our life because we're just not quite ready for Him to come and do what He needs to do, perhaps, and if we're not careful, what we'll allow is a root of bitterness to get in there. We'll allow something that is, um, how did my dad used to say it? Something that gets stuck in your crawl. In your crawl that can't quite go down. It's not really, it's not settled with you. It doesn't get where it needs to get. It's just kind of stuck somewhere. It's not enough to kill you, but it's not enough to... You're still, you don't have the relief that you need. It's just, it's just, I need something, something caught in my, something that's there that just, we can't get it down. We can't digest it. It's called a root of bitterness. If we're not careful, we'll allow a root of bitterness to settle in. And then we start giving advice like Ahithophel. 
we start giving advice against the very people of God. Even though from a worldly point of view, we're still tactically very correct. Is what you're saying correct? Well, well, fine. Uh, It's from a worldly wisdom point of view. You stop using the Scripture. You stop being inspired by the Spirit of God and you start giving good, sound advice. Well, here's what the latest uh, psychology magazine might say about that. Well, that's technically correct. That was technically correct. Yay. has nothing to do with the Spirit of God. It's not at all the counsel that God would be giving you in this moment, but it sounds good. And we actually start giving things in opposition to the will of God because we have something that's growing on the inside of us. Turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, and we're going to start in verse 15. Make it 14. Hebrews 12, 14 says this, Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. There you go. Real deep spiritual uh, concept here, right? Without holiness, no one sees the Lord. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. When we allow a root of bitterness in us, it not only impacts us, it impacts our families, it impacts those that we are trying to give counsel to because you don't even realize and you think you can keep the root of bitterness over here and give good advice over here. It's not the way it works. Not the way it's going to work. You can't have areas of unholiness in your life. You can't have these huge, these roots, these things that are down inside of us and think that we're going to No, I'm still good. Why? Because I gave some decent... The advice I gave sounded pretty good. So I'm going to just say that I'm okay. Turn to uh, James chapter 3. James chapter 3. Let's start in verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? (laughs) Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. If we don't have humility in our actions, we're showing that we are not wise. We're showing that we're not mature. But if uh, if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. I'm going to read this again. This is God's words to each of us today. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Two very natural outgrowths of this is that we will boast about we, boast, we start boasting about the very thing that, we sh- that is envious. We start boasting about the bitterness that's there. We start becoming very vocal with it. What's in us can't help but coming out of us. Do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual of the devil. If you're not giving counsel to yourself 
or to others that comes from the Word and the Spirit joined together, then the counsel that you can give looks like this. Earthly, unspiritual, of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. If you have disorder in your life, you need to examine your heart and see if there's envy or selfish ambition there. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. It's impartial and it's sincere. People think that if you're going to be impartial, that you could be insincere. No, I can be sincere and impartial. This is allowing the counsel of God's Word to be effective in our life. I don't counsel myself. I'm not going to counsel you. I'm not going to let you counsel me in something that is not rooted in the Word. If it's sinful, don't approve it even in of yourself. If it's sinful, don't give counsel to somebody to continue to go on in a selfish manner. Don't do it. Be impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. Come on up, Pastor Matt. As we close here, (laughs) based on the words that came forth this morning, that we cannot hold on to things, that we have to let go of the worries, we have to let go of the focus on the, on the temporal things. We have to let go. We have to let God come in and restore us and wash over us. I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to beseech you to judge your hearts according to the Scripture. Perhaps you've given poor counsel. Perhaps you've received poor counsel. I think the one that I'm most worried about today is what are you counseling yourself? What are you telling yourself? Are you allowing yourself to stay ungodly and it's okay with you? Are you allowing yourself? Are you allowing yourself a slack? You're allowing yourself excuses to come through so that you miss what God's actually doing? Are you allowing envy and bitterness to stay in your life without expelling it immediately? God, help us if we're boasting about it. God, help us if we're doing these things and then denying the truth about it. Let's stand together.